Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. And welcome to my live interview today for the Victoria Souls podcast. I'm Danielle Burnock, daniellebernock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you, for those of you who are not familiar with me. Today, I am thrilled to share with you a gentleman named Kevin Cahill. He is an author, a speaker, and a change management specialist. He has endured and overcome multiple life-altering things, and he helps individuals and organizations embrace the change that they need with confidence. So I'm going to bring him out here to meet you and share his amazing story of how he has overcome those things, and then he helps other people to overcome and embrace the change so they can thrive in life too. Thank you for being with me today, Kevin. Welcome to Victoria Souls Podcast. Well, good afternoon. It's an absolute privilege and honor to be with you and your audience this afternoon. Well, I'm, before we get into the multiple life-altering things you've been through, which is how I told them, multiple life-altering things, one of them, seven times the same thing. But um, I wanted to ask you, did your childhood prepare you for all these things to happen in your life? Tell us just a little bit of the backstory of Kevin. Sure. And everything in life is the raw material and the raw data to take you through whatever adversity or whatever challenge you're going through. And I always like to start my story with a mini golden girls moment. Picture it. <laughs> you know, in my case, it would have been rural, small town, Canada, uh, 1976, two and a half, three years before I was even born. And that was the night my father took his final drink. Uh, my father, who was uh, the youngest of his family, he was born and raised on a farm. He inherited the nickname, the little fat farmer at the age of 12, teased and bullied his entire life. And his vice was alcohol. And like so many, it created this dependency that he used to mask his scars and his demons. Mm -hmm. But his alcohol really led to a rage and almost a poor me attitude. And my story started, it was uh, July 4th, 1976. And in a drunken rage, my father tried to kill my mother. Mm. And it was my oldest brother who headbutted my father out the door and locked the door. My father never drank again. 
he sought out the help of Alcoholics Anonymous and with many friends and, and counsel and support, my parents' marriage was saved and three years later, I was born. But like in my own story, I refer to the silent hand of the universe is always there to nudge us and to guide us along. And if you don't pay attention to the silent hand of the universe, it becomes a silent nudge and then the silent punch and eventually the silent sledgehammer over the head until you finally pay attention. (laughs) And so even with my father along his journey, when I was three years old, my dad's profession, he was an elevator mechanic, grade six educated. And one day the brake let go and it crushed him and he was never able to work fully again. Now, my father from that point on was the stay at home dad. He was, as I said, grade six educated. They couldn't rehabilitate him to go do something else. And this is 40 some odd years ago. Yeah. So mom, she was the one that went off to work every day and dad was the one that stayed home. And through my entire childhood, dad would go to AA meetings in the day and he wasn't going to leave me at home alone. And so he would bring me with him. And so from an early age, I was exposed to the stories of Alcoholics Anonymous, the, those who had taken the decision to change their life around. And from Mm -hmm. the earliest memories, I was surrounded by those stories of overcoming and those stories of surviving adversity and going forward. And that really helped to shape who I was today. But the fascinating thing about my own childhood is I repeated a lot of the same pattern that my father did. Mm. I you know, was a chubby little fella, I had a stutter, I hated public speaking, I was shy, And I got teased and bullied the same. And so unlike my father, I, when I was 18, I wanted to move as far away from home as possible. And I wanted to be nothing like my father. I wanted to create a new identity and I wanted to create a new path that would lead me to being the exact opposite of my father. Wow. So although my childhood gave me the raw data, I still got in my own way. Mm. And I let ego drive a lot of my early adult decisions. Ego gets us all into trouble. Ego is a problem. (laughs) So you had all these things happen to you. How old were you when the first thing of the string that you had shared with me, I mean, the thing that happened seven times and... You know, I was going to count them, but I decided not to count how many things you had. How old were you when the very first thing on on all those things happened? And then go in and then share your story with us, please. The universe started to speak through me in in 2004. And so I would have been 25, 26. And as I mentioned, as I I moved away from home, I moved a six hour drive away. And my um, son's mom 
the the woman I married first didn't last, but first, her father was everything that I wanted my father to be. Mm. Athletic, outgoing, gregarious, owned a business, had the fancy car and the boat and the big house and the pool, right? Everything I wanted to be. And shortly after uh, his daughter and I were married, he was diagnosed with cancer. And three months later, he was dead. And to me, on September 5th, 2004, that was the first moment the universe tried to say, hey, Kevin, pay attention. Wow, you didn't even share that one with me and all the string of them. You had the losing your parents at an age, divorce, your injuries, your illness of your own, and all that. It's like you hadn't even mentioned this one. So that this came before all those other things. That was a, that was to me, the start that was, if I were to mark a day on the calendar, when the universe is trying to tell me, Kevin, pay attention. And at that period of time, I had just left a, a six figure sales career to go into the financial world uh, and a, a world that I thought would bring me more zeros on checks and a fancier lifestyle and more wealth. And that was the first time I didn't pay attention. Life continued to happen. A year later, my mom, while on vacation in Ireland, had a massive heart attack and died instantly at her favorite place in the world. The story of her death is a story that's actually in one of my books. And it's a a beautiful story looking back on it now. But again, I didn't pay attention. Life continued to happen. My son was born and then my marriage fell apart. I didn't pay attention. My father, my hero, my guiding light through everything. He was diagnosed with cancer in 2008. And then I was wrongfully accused of something I didn't do. I was a malpractice suit in my financial career. And all of these things were going on at the same time. And while I was somewhat paying attention to the universe, I was really focused on on my father and my Mm -hmm. father's battle. And, And it lasted for a while. And my father would be living six hours away. I had no idea how to connect with him. Mm-hmm. And so I mentioned earlier that I spent my entire youth trying to be nothing like my father. Mm-hmm. And in his final months, I really wanted to, to rebuild that relationship with him. And I thought my father was an incredibly religious man. And instead, uh, I discovered he was very spiritual and religion was his community. I was born and raised a Roman Catholic and like all good Catholics, I fell away from the church in my late (laughs) teens. And when dad was diagnosed with cancer, I decided to read the Bible cover to cover for a year, 365 days, because I thought that whatever I read that morning, I could then call my dad and then we could have a conversation about it. And every day I read, some days it gave me hope, some days it gave me joy, other days it made me angry. And it was reading that book that I realized that those writings 
you know, it's, it's 42 authors, 66 books. Yes, you know, there's a bit of politics that was involved in putting the book together, but all of it was real people that are having real experiences at real times, writing their real thoughts. And so I truly identified. And at the same time, while dad was battling cancer, I started writing myself and I started journaling. I started journaling my, my thoughts and my fears and all of the things that I had pushed down. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I'd be a writer. You know, I went to school for biomedical science and biochemistry, and then I went into medical sales, and then I went into the financial world. And here I am, I'm writing my deepest, darkest secrets on paper. And you were inspired and, to do that because you read the Bible. And they had read shared the Bi- their stories in there. And you see yes. it as just, just a book written by yes. people. Okay, that's not how I view it at all. I Because it's, like you said, it was a religious book or a spiritual book or whatever. So you didn't even, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, um, entertain the thought maybe that God might have anything to do with that or it was just people? Uh, so to me, the, the everything is inspired by the universe. And I think I'll, I'll touch on one little tidbit a little bit later that'll that'll tie everything in a nice neat little bow but when dad passed away in 2010 he was my rock he was um you know i I really wish that while he was alive i knew what i knew after he passed away Mm -hmm. but i think this is a journey that all parents and children go through is you don't necessarily know who you had until they're no longer there for you. And so when dad passed away, shortly after he passed away, one of the things that I wrote about my father, it got picked up on a a website called Inspire Me Today that then went on uh, um, the Care Network and Huffington Post. And in that moment, my writing career started because someone found value in something I wrote and then shared it. And that really was a turning point that I didn't pay attention to because I continued to fall under the the ego virus of, well, now I'm writing and now I need to focus on how many people are reading my articles and how many likes are there and how many times is it shared and how much money can I get from packaging a book? And I continue going. Yeah, I hear the ego in that. And in all of that, you had shared with me before, you had the whole thing, like I had mentioned in the intro and early on, and we kind of like skipped over that part of your story. You had seven concussions. Where did those come in there? Weren't some of those in high school? (laughs) We're not there yet, actually. Uh, So we're we're only 2010, 12. 2012, my third book comes out. It's a tribute to my father. Mm -hmm. And I'm on a speaking tour that takes me to early 2013. And here again, I'm focused on the wrong things guiding me. And I was rushing one day, I was off to a speaking gig, running up the stairs of my condo, I fell and I smashed my head on concrete. Mm -hmm. And that what turned out to be my seventh concussion 
is was a, a big turning point for me. So that so was it, the seventh one was on the concrete there. So because I thought you said the, it was they were sports related, and so the earlier ones happened like in high school or something. You were playing sports or something. The first six were all when I was young, uh, mm -hmm. all pre-university. They weren't called concussions back in the day. They were just gotcha. called bumps to the head. Gotcha. Because concussion science really is only the last probably 10 to 12 oh. years. Science has come so far in the last 10, 15 years on so many levels. So yes. So it was after my last in 2013, when I wasn't responding to any treatment, I wasn't responding to any drugs. That's when the doctors started doing a a bit of a forensic investigation into my history <laughs> to find out that, you know, yes, when I got hit from behind in hockey and knocked unconscious on the ice, that probably was a concussion when I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. So I took a, a solid year to focus. I was, I immersed myself in individuals like Bob Proctor and Wallace Waddles and, you know, everything to do with Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. I was really focused on retraining my brain, retraining everything about my, um, my Jenga block of life, you know, mm -hmm. all of these little pieces that I put together over 30 some odd years that had fallen apart when I hit my head for the you know, seventh time, I tried to put that Jenga block together and wrap it in duct tape to try and make it work. <laughs> How'd that work? <laughs> it didn't work very well. I didn't I, figure it did. <laughs> I went on that same pattern and another book comes out and another speaking tour. And a, again, I'm pushing myself. And it was the fall of 2015, mid-September, I threw my back out, helping a friend move a barbecue. And I was stuck in bed for two weeks. And my business partner, over text said, Kevin, if you don't get to your doctor to get checked out, I'm coming to your condo and dragging you to emergency. <laughs> and so I went to my doctor's office. It was uh, the Thursday before Canadian Thanksgiving. Our Thanksgiving is in October. And on Tuesday, five days later, I was sitting in an oncologist's office and he said, Kevin, you have cancer. And it was that moment I just looked up to the heavens and I said, I give up. Not I give up, I'm done. I give mm -hmm. up, I surrender. Your will, my will, I'm not getting in my way anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, I, I had a surgery right away and I you know, recovered and about a month or two later, I was uh, on a beach in Cuba and Napoleon Hill, once said, write your thoughts in the sands of the sea and let the waves take them away. And I wrote in the sand, stop searching for God. And that was a, a massive turning point for me because I think in, in all of our lives journeys, much like I love talking about the Wizard of Oz, we are all we all feel like we're searching for something. We're either searching for the right job or the right partner or the right home or the, the right career path. 
And a lot of the times the searching gets us in trouble. I think of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, a perfect metaphor for Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. She's on this yellow brick road. She's searching to get home. And she's told that she has to go on this journey and meet the worst parts of herself in the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion to go to the magician, the wizard, at the end of the path. But once she gets there, she realizes it's just an illusion. It's a myth. He's not really going to help her at all. Mm -hmm. Because as the, the good witch says, Dorothy, you had the power to go home all along. And through my journey, I had the power to go home. But I had to learn about all of the worst parts of myself Mm -hmm. and come to love those parts my motto is love the life you were born to lead not the life that your third grade teacher says you should have oh no <laughs> or that your neighbor tells you you need to do mm -hmm. but get out of your own way and let the divine take over right. so i I'll go back to that comment about the Bible is yes, it is a collection of stories written by real people having real experiences in a real moment in time. And everything in my mind is whether you refer to it as God, nature, spirit, the divine, everything is guiding us along that path. Hmm. Interesting. I've never heard that kind of a concept before. So. But when you were struggling through that, is it like you shared a lot of your struggle and, um, and even how you started to thrive in the uh, owning your story. And that's really important for people to own their story. So I want to just pause here to make sure people don't miss that part of it. We have to take ownership of our own story because we get one life and it's up to us how we live it it's your choice how you live your life and you who are listening it's up to you how you live your life your your choice is your gift you get one life it's up to you how you live it and owning your story is the beginning of freedom because as kevin unpacked these dark parts of himself he had to own them so that he could move forward with that and so kevin i introduced you as a change management specialist. And as I told you, I had not heard that term before. So will you please unpack what is a change management specialist? And then what is the best strategy that someone can use when they're going through change? The, the concept for me, it started after I was diagnosed with cancer. And so for a, a period of about two years, I took what, uh, there's a Hebrew term called menuha, which uh, relates to period of rest and, and relaxation and in essence, a, a Sabbath in our life. Mm -hmm. And, but in that period of time, I was still writing. 
And after about two years, I look back on the 200 page Word document that I'd just been typing away at. Mm-hmm. And I realized there was a pattern to it. There's a, a bit of a cadence to that two year period of my life. And I realized much like up here in Canada, we are uh, incredibly well uh, gifted with four distinct seasons. We have the fall where the leaves on the trees will turn bright red and yellow and orange. And it is, is telling us that we are about to, we're preparing for change. We know that winter in Canada comes after fall. It's cold, it's dark, it's desolate. The proverbial dark night of the soul that every human on earth will go through in their lifetime at some point, whether it's for a day or for 30 or 40 years. Oh, Lord. (laughs) But then we have spring. You know, there's a newness. There's a, the, the tree, the leaves are back on the trees. The birds are having babies. There's this, this freshness in the air. And that, after you go through suffering, in order to get through suffering, in order to get through the winter of our lives, we have to learn to find joy out of the suffering joy out of the pain and this is you talked about we're all given a choice Mm -hmm. we have the choice to either vibrate up or spiral down but in the spring of our lives when we're finding the joy it's because of that suffering that we are where we are you know you got fired but then that was the push you needed to go off and follow your passions your partner cheated on you, but now you're with this amazing person who treats you better than you ever thought was possible. That is the one that most individuals, we get so stuck on what we've lost mm-hmm. that we don't take time to appreciate what we've gained. And in this world, everything is, is there's a polarity. For every loss, there's a gain. It has to be that way. We just sometimes need to step out of our own way and dive into the darkness to find out where that gift is. Mm. Much like the Jenga block. Instead of trying again to put the Jenga block back together with duct tape, I embraced the brokenness of that tower because in the brokenness that is where the light was able to get into the darkness and where the light was able to shine but the one thing that i've learned in my journey is that if you do not find some way to mature and serve as the result of the pain the suffering the brokenness. What was the point of going through the pain in the first place? And this is one thing that even for myself, I realized 
if I was going to continue to hold on to what I've learned, this life journey has a magical way of just throwing you back into the proverbial shit pile and challenge you to see if you've actually learned anything. And so wherever I go and whatever interviews I have and people I talk to, I always can tell those who have been through major change and they have been through major trauma and suffering because there's a softness to them. There's a, mm. a bit of a, a light to them that they are light bearers for the rest of the world. Much like, you know, with what you're doing with your podcast and your work and, and everything, you know, within your platform. Mm -hmm. When people have processed their pain, then they do that. The ones who park in their pain, they don't generally emanate the light. They emanate the darkness because they're living in that dark hole. <clears throat> they're living in the dark. So like you mentioned, some people stay there for so many years and the thought of that is just so so grievous to think someone but some people that they, they won't do the work they won't do the work they won't dive into it they won't own it and and like i tell people is like you have two choices you have it's it, you have pain now <laughs> and you can deal with the pain which would be painful but if you don't deal with the pain you have pain forever if you deal with the pain you'll have pain for a season and then you can get rid of the pain. You can have the joy like you were talking about. I see that also. There's a softness. There's a light from people who will process their pain. Another way I've heard people put it is, you know, turning their pain into purpose. And people are tired of that word purpose, I think. But it's making use of it. You know, it's like being, um, what's the word? Um, resourceful. Like people did that during the Great Depression. They didn't have this, so they made something else out of it. Single moms are very resourceful. And I've talked with other ones. My mom became a single mom because my dad died before I was done growing up. And talking with people, it's like, you know what a butter knife is? A butter knife is a screwdriver <laughs> and other things like that. But that's being resourceful. It's making use of like the cards you have. Everyone gets dealt cards. How are you going to play, you know, the hand you're dealt? So yes, mm -hmm. you have books. What are the books that you have? You said you were doing writing. And so how many books do you have? Share these books with, with the audience. Uh, so I have eight books total uh, and um, book number nine is in the works oh, how and exciting. it will be, <laughs> it'll be, I, I'm a big proponent. Again, the universe is guiding me and when it's ready to be birthed, it will be finalized. The last four books that I uh, published, they all came out uh, four years ago, right around now. And it is everything to do with change management. And the, the, the books are in sequence. The first is, I just need to grab them off the camera. Um, gaining clarity. Sometimes you take a trip. And I don't know if the camera can pick it up. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare for change? And so I, I really didn't answer your question properly about what is change management. Change management for myself is working with individuals and organizations along a, a process that helps them first identify where they've come from. Because most people will come to me and they are in the 
know, the, the gutters of life. But I have to take them a step backwards and talk about the, the journey that life has taken them on. And then we get to how do you go through change? How do you go through suffering? And a big part of that is change your focus. Mm-hmm. And then once you've changed your focus towards pain and suffering, and this is a, a slight little aside, when someone tells me you know, that their world is falling apart in whatever shape or form it might be, mm-hmm. on the inside, I get really excited. Not excited for the pain that they're going through, but for what newness will be birthed out of their pain. Because I've been there and I've surrounded myself with others who have also been there. And I know that on the other side of what might seem like the biggest storm of life, Mm -hmm. there's such a beautiful grace that comes with it. And I, I just get so excited because once you change your focus and you've gone through the pain and you learn to find joy out of the pain, you have the ability to change your life. But the fourth book in that series comes back to gaining clarity and that sometimes the trip takes you. And this is so a powerful, it's a reminder for myself every day that when your eyes open and you take your first breath being awake, yes, you have a lot of control over what you can do. But there's so many interactions on a daily basis, an hourly basis, that you have no control over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Go to, I, go to the grocery store. You have no control over anything around you. You have right. no control over what's in the grocery store, the mood that the clerk is in, the person that's in front of you in line, the car that you know is following you as you're exiting the parking lot. Mm-hmm. But those are all divine gifts. Those are all moments that we are given that we can either make a difference, have it purposely impact our world and others' worlds, or we can go the other way and spiral down. And this is, I live in awe every day, every moment about everything around me. And so the next book is taking off on that concept, that on and wonder that we are here as humans. Mm -hmm. We're on this rock that's been around (laughs) for, you know, billions of years hurtling at hundreds of miles per second through a vast space and we have zero control and that was when i was diagnosed with cancer it's for me it's progress not necessarily perfection Mm -hmm. but that surrender 
surrender to what is, surrender to the smallness that I am in this bigger cosmos mm-hmm. around me. Yeah, there's a lot we can't control, especially when you paint the picture there of the earth and the universe and you know it's like how big is the, you know the universe and then you know the solar system and the sun and the moon and like that the earth and then you get down to it like a continent and then a city and i mean then you know i feel it like you're a speck but you know it's it's important that we see our smallness without losing our value because we need to see our value because we matter you know if you talk to that clerk who's maybe having a bad day and you encourage them, you can change someone's life by seeing your value of encouragement with people. And so we need both ends of that spectrum. So thank you for painting that picture for us. Like ego, you know, we think we're in control of the whole thing, but we are not. So you're surrendering to the, putting the ego aside, the ego will try and tape that thing together. (laughs) The Jenga thing, like you said, but the ego will fail. The ego will fail. And so just thank you for painting that picture. And I just want to pause here for listeners to just think about that. Think about your life. And the one thing you really have control over is your choice. Your choice, like Dr. Viktor Frankl in The Meaning of Man, or I forgot the name of his his book, who was going through the Holocaust and they tortured him and everything. And he learned that there was one thing they could not take away from him. And that was his choice of how to respond to what was going on around him, to what people were doing to him. And, you know, there's this hugeness around us. We have very little control, but we do have that one control and we have great value. So just thank you for sharing this. I want this beautiful picture. I wanted to pause there and just redraw that for our listeners to just see that because it's so important. It, It helps you live a much more intentional life and appreciate the things around us. Like you had said, Kevin, uh, you know, being aware of the things that are around you and finding the joy, you know, like you said, you got excited about that because there's newness on the other side. It is life is full of, you know, peaks and valleys. And it's like, we don't live on the peak. We, but we need to remember we don't live in the valley either. We're going through life. We need to continue to go through it and so and you know and you help people they go through change you want to help them manage that so they go through and don't get stuck in the middle of it right in that in that dark part so how can people connect with you where are you located are you on different socials where can people connect with you uh, my website is kevin t cahill.com uh, and i am on all the the major social networking platforms facebook and linkedin and twitter um you know and it's i just wanted to to kind of circle back because when you were speaking um about you know the the smallness and and the the tapestry it really reminded me of the book of job right in the bible oh never heard anyone pronounce it that way i've heard it called job so job job whatever it's spelled job (laughs) the book really it's most of it is is you know the main character in that story lamenting and crying out to god where were you how can you let this happen you know why am i going through what i'm going through 
And one of the things that I've come to, to find comfort and peace, because any world tragedy, that's the number one question that anyone will usually ask, you know, where was God in all of this? Or how can you believe in a God that allows this to happen? I hear that often. Mm-hmm. And I've, in my own work, in my own learning, I've come to realize that God is standing in the shadows waiting for us to go there as well. Because at the end of that book, you know, the God character in the story mm-hmm. right away goes right back and says, where were you when I created all of this? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you know? Right. And that is, that is such a, a powerful story to remind of the smallness mm-hmm. and the fact that we are part of a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And yes, we do matter. And everyone's story matters, no matter how little or big or, or grandiose the story is. I like to think of the, you know, it's a, we're all in an orchestra. Yeah. And every single note in an orchestra matters. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a, a trio or a, a grand orchestra of 150 or 200 people, Every note matters, every instrument matters, and every person playing that instrument matters. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful picture to leave people with. So thank you for sharing that. Just imagine yourself as a part of an orchestra. What instrument might you be playing or create a new instrument? Invent one. It doesn't even have to be something that exists because you you're beautiful. You matter. And I come on here all the time to tell you that I love you. I'm that lady on the internet who loves you because that is your, our core need is to know that we are loved and music is beautiful. So to paint that picture, thank you, Kevin, the picture of a symphony and orchestra. We make beautiful music when we live our life with intention and own our story. We are, we're writing a a musical musical story with our life when we do it in tension we get stuck in the things it's almost like we're hitting the sharps and the flats <laughs> so we need to we get to rewrite it so just thank you thank you for sharing that story and thank you for being with me today kevin and i just love you my listeners until next time i love you thank you so much for listening to the victorious souls podcast You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.